Hello and welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 187th episode, our returning guest is Sarah Kenzier. You first heard Sarah Kenzier on episodes 70, 80, 89, 99, 112, 128, 138, 150, 163, and 177. Sarah Kenzier is best known for her reporting on St. Louis, her coverage of the 2016 election, and her academic research on authoritarian states. She is currently an op-ed columnist for The Globe and Mail, and she was named by Foreign Policy as one of the 100 people you should be following on Twitter to make sense of global events. Her reporting has been featured in many publications including Politico, Slate, The Atlantic, Fast Company, The Chicago Tribune, Teen Vogue, and The New York Times. Her book, The View from Flyover Country, Dispatches from the Forgotten America, was published April 17, 2018, and is now a New York Times bestseller. And her new book, Hiding in Plain Sight, The Invention of Donald Trump and the Erosion of America, was published April 7, 2020, and is now also a New York Times bestseller. You can listen to her podcast, which she co-hosts with Andrea Chalupa, Gaslit Nation. And now on to the show. Thank you so much for coming back for the 11th time. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, you have like the archives of I know. my mental decline <laughs> for the Trump era. You I know. know. Man, it's been four years now and, you know, we're in the last week, hopefully, of the presidency. Um, although, I guess to be continued on, we haven't seen him leave yet. Although I did see them stealing a bust of Abraham Lincoln at the back door today. So, I mean, <laughs> I think... Yeah. I think I expect the copper wiring and the pipes will probably come out sometime during the night, uh, you know, just stripping it down to the studs. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely worried, to be honest, about them taking historical um, objects of, of significance. And, you yeah. know, so are most historians. We may have lost them for good. and People should take that seriously. We'll see. Um, assuming Biden gets in, I think then we'll have some kind of account of the damage done. And until that day... Um, I don't think we're going to have any idea the extent to which they've pulverized the interior. For sure. But yeah, I mean, like like you mentioned, just so much has happened and, and I just figured it would be only fitting to uh, during the last, you know, like seven couple days we've got here to, to kind of review how no one saw this coming, Sarah. No one could have predicted, right? I mean, <laughs> I, no I didn't see it coming. You didn't, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> saying God. saying this for years and years. <laughs> If I never, I swear to God, like when he finally launches the nuke, that's what's going to like be the shape of the mm -hmm. mushroom cloud. It's going to be like a giant mushroom cloud that says no one saw it coming and just hovering oh. over us as we disintegrate. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very frustrating. The number of people seeing it coming has just continued to grow from the very beginning. I mean, honestly, in 2015, 2016, I was pretty lonely in having the opinion, not just that he's a horrible person, would be an autocratic president. I think quite a lot of people had that opinion. Basically, any group that he targeted, Black Americans, Muslim Americans, uh, Latino Americans, and so forth, they had that view. Most people thought he couldn't win. And and then I had the view of like, he is exactly that bad and he will win and he will win because he is backed by powerful transnational operatives and billionaires and basically like the worst people um, from every country and their combined wealth and power. And he's going to use those to bulldoze the institutions that are going to keep him in check. And so, you know, as you know, I didn't think 
the molar probe would succeed after it had been going on for a few months and hadn't really done much. Um, it was clear Pelosi wasn't going to do much about the situation. And, you know, that's where I sort of departed as I had no faith in uh, institutions to contain him. But I definitely feel like lots of people could imagine exactly how bad um, this could be. And now we here we are with a siege on the Capitol and broken glass and dead bodies and I still see them kind of going back to, wow, you know, who could have thunk it or, you know, both mm. sides or whatever they're going to do. It's uh, it's rough. Uh, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. And, you know, there's so much we could start with. But I think the Capitol attack was so predictable because yes. it was being telegraphed everywhere very loudly even by Trump and and his uh, acolytes and and just openly it wasn't they it wasn't on an encrypted channel. Uh, I'm not on far right message boards. I was just on the regular internet as far as I know, and I saw I knew that this was going to happen. Um, so yeah, why why wasn't why weren't they better prepared? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and the answer to that question seems to be increasingly horrific the more we know. Because as you said, we knew the date, we knew the place. We knew the participants because the participants were telling us. They were like, hey, I got a plane ticket. I'm going to go seize the Capitol on January 6th. Like, they were very open about it. There are people like um, Lynn Wood, who hadn't been banned from Twitter yet, just yammering on and on about the details of the day and what needed to be done. And I remember reading the responses because there were some hesitant uh, people, hesitant little MAGA supporters who were like, ooh, you know, do we really need to take it that far? And he was like, yes, yes, you do. And um, um, you could watch, you know, this cult recruitment uh, in action and how incredibly dangerous it was. But I kept thinking, well, you know, this guy has like a million followers. Obviously, if I'm seeing this, then law enforcement agencies are seeing this. And since we've had numerous trial runs over the last four years, you know, Charlottesville and then also uh, the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer and Trump's reaction to them, you know, where he staged his little mini coup in June, where he wanted uh, the military to fire on American citizens and they restrained themselves somewhat. But we saw the police just, you know, brazenly attacking protesters, uh, clearly showing that their loyalty was to Trump uh, above the actual obligations of their job. We knew about the infiltration of the police, the infiltration of the military by loyalists, by white supremacists. There have been numerous studies of this. And a lot of people who study uh, online domestic terrorism and recruitment networks had been warning everybody very loudly for months on end. And so it was somewhat shocking um, to see I don't even know if it's a lack of preparation. It's a refusal to do anything about it, which is really the defining theme of the last four years. You know, we saw the FBI refuse to alert the public about the danger of Trump before he became the president, even though senators like Harry Reid were begging them to, and particularly about his ties um, to the Russian mafia. We saw the Mueller probe uh, fail fantastically because it didn't try. You know, they wouldn't investigate. They wouldn't indict. The same thing happened with Pelosi and impeachment. They narrow the scope, the omit, the context. They had it about nine months later um, than they should have had it. You know, it, it, it was disastrous. We saw it with coronavirus. They knew that that was coming. They were warned amply. We saw it play out in countries around the world. And you should they should have known by that 
you know, um, decent people in government should have known, of course, Trump's not going to do anything about a pandemic, but let it spread and kill people. This is a guy who gets off on mass death. And this is a guy who sees uh, catastrophe as an opportunity to profit. So they should have been guarding all of the PPE. They should have had backup plans for backup plans. And this is yet another very predictable situation that no one seemed to have a backup plan for. But what I'm worried about is just the prevalence of anti-American actors within these forces of seditious individuals. I mean, we see them obviously in the Republican Party with people like uh, Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz or Mo Brooks and the the House representatives who were working directly uh, with these white supremacist militants um, to attack our country. It's a much deeper and more spread out problem than people imagined. And I think it's because folks thought, well, on one hand, they didn't believe what was in plain sight was serious. They thought that this was just some goofy, LARPing, wannabe thing. Uh, It was also repetitive. I mean, we can't forget that Roger Stone, of course, promised a bloodbath in 2016 if Trump lost. Like, they announced this plan four years ago, so it sort of had this, like, rerun effect. Um, But they also managed, you know, while the, the participants, the sort of, I guess, everyday people, everyday people who can afford fancy hotels and planes, uh, you know, they were very loud about what they were going to do. I think members of the police and the military and the FBI and others kept very quiet about their complicity in the plot. I just saw something break from NPR about how the FBI did nothing uh, even, you know, to investigate this, even as all of the warning signs were being plastered all over social media. And, you know, no one from the FBI thought to speak out and say, hey, the rest of my bureau is not investigating this upcoming coup. You know, we have a void here. There's just no responsibility. There's um, like a, the thin blue line uh, culture, you know, has extended into so many different institutions. And that's very dangerous because I'm just left like who is protecting our country? You know, who is even in charge of our country at this point? Mm. Yeah, well, the call seems to be coming from inside the house because catch me when I say something that's wrong. But the plotters, many of them got congressional tours beforehand, knew exactly where to go, um, were directed uh, by. uh, Oh, oh, and they tweeted out people's positions Mm-hmm. Uh, during their during this, actively helping them, they knew where unmarked offices were. Uh, panic buttons were ripped out. Yeah. What is going on? Like that is an inside job. I'm sorry. Like like tell me that's that's not fishy. No, it's absolutely <laughs> an inside job. And you know, I I thought that the House should have impeached impeached immediately after the vote, and it took them a week. But whatever. It's it's done. They did what they needed to do with the impeachment. I actually think it's wise of them to uh, not have the trial in the Senate until the new Senate is sworn in. You know, one because it's a, a Democratic majority, and one of the things that um, you know, hopefully, although I think they need two thirds to get this, uh, you know, there's a way that they can make it so Trump can never run for office again. And I think that's a very important thing to do. Um, and I think that if they present the full case to the Senate, they will know so much more information by the time a Senate trial takes place about just how vast the complicity was, just how murderous the intent was, who was targeted, um, you know, how people were recruited. All of that information uh, may be 
you know, we may know much more of it by then. And I think we know we need to know as much as possible because we need to know all the ways that we're still unprotected right now. And we need to know who in Congress was willing to let their fellow Congress people be slaughtered. I mean, that's a very chilling question. And I've seen interviews with, um, you know, AOC and Representative mm. Jayapal. And mm. that's one of the things that they are most unnerved by is that the people that they are literally working side by side with these Republicans are trying to abet their deaths. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying. So obviously all those people need to be removed. You know, the senators who were egging it on and obviously the people in the House uh, who were not just egging it on, but seem to have actively helped plan it. And then whoever is responsible for ripping out um, panic room buttons and, you know, letting people into doors that weren't marked, like that's mm -hmm. what happened to um, James Clyburn. You know, there, there are a lot of very frightening things and many of them seem to be targeted towards towards representatives of color, you know, which is not surprising. Um, but again, I wonder, like, where was the plan from the House? Like, we were all worried about the state because, of course, we knew the votes were going to be, uh, you know, counted, that this, this was a day of the right. official marking of the ballot. So they, they knew that. That's it's why a date they were that's in the Constitution. This is the secret knowledge that we know this. <laughs> and then there are all these other things, like things, I think I even brought up some of them possibly on your show months ago before I even realized that it was this state. Like Michael Cohen, for one, kept talking about how he thought Trump was going to go to Mar-a-Lago and just make sure he's not in D.C. on the 6th. He doesn't want to be there on the 6th. Something bad is going to happen on the 6th. And, you know, Michael wow. Cohen's a mafioso and he speaks in code. You know, he told us that like when he yep. testified under oath. Mm -hmm. And so the minute I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, like, well, what's happening in D.C. on January 6th? And then, you know, this is going to sound stupid, but I, I have wondered about it. Um, you know, we know that Putin has wanted to have revenge for the collapse of the Soviet Union and that that is one of his goals in having a Russian, you know, a Kremlin asset as the president of the United States and, you know, facilitating the collapse of the United States uh, for profit, but also on for him on a personal level for revenge. The Soviet Union collapsed on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1991. And when I saw that January 6th was, Ru was Russian Orthodox Christmas, um, you know, and Putin loves to kind of link his, himself and his lineage with Russian Orthodoxy, even though he was never particularly pious, I was like, oh, God, the symbolism. And this is not as out there as you may think, because, you know, Putin or not Putin, the Kremlin, when they first flew Donald Trump um, to Russia in 1987, they did it on July 4th. And then when they flew well, out. Ron Johnson and the other. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, go ahead. They did it again on, on July 4th, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then they did it again on 9-11, and on Putin's birthday, mm -hmm. uh, that's the day that Russia tends to kill journalists, like uh, Anna wow. Polakovskaya, for example, is killed on Putin's birthday as a president. So they love these symbolic dates. They just love that. And so when I saw all these things colliding, plus, you know, the most obvious thing, which is, you know, over time, people just saying, hey, yeah, we're going to go do this. We're going to break into the Capitol. I was like, well, I, I assume the House is very well prepared, that they must be hiring extra security. They must be be locking their doors and barricading them they must you know they definitely wouldn't be like leaving laptops around or something and they did and i'm kind of like were you briefed like with lies like did someone lie to you about the extent mm. of the danger or do you not have common sense i mean i don't want to blame the victim too much but it's weird to me because we as just sort of spectators 
could see it coming from reading mm. Twitter. So mm. wouldn't they know on a more intimate level? It's just really weird. Oh, it's so weird. And the thing is, here's here, you know, again, you, like you said, let's not blame the victims here at all. We, we want to blame the people that are that are directly responsible for this at all, at all times. But let's let's re I'm old enough to remember a certain call to Georgia. What was it 10 years ago or last week? I can't tell. Yes, on tape. Yes. An hour long phone call where he's. I mean, you did you listen to the whole thing? Yes, I did. Yeah, I listened I to the whole it. thing too. I'm like, why is how is he president for one more minute? Like another exactly. minute? Like get him out of here! Like and he was <laughs> rational too. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm so tired of people saying, "Oh, Trump, he's so crazy, he's wild and out of control." It's like, no, he's a mobster. He is a career criminal who gives threats and directives and works with other career criminals, many of whom he had just pardoned. People like Stone and Manafort and Flynn, who were essential in this plot. And so that was just a typical call. And I'm sure that Republicans have been dealing with calls and threats like that from Trump for four years. I mean, that's what the Ukraine call that he got impeached for was like, exactly. where he was like, you know, Maria Ivanovich, she's going to like, I can't remember, like have some bad things happen to her or whatever the exact, um, but she's going to go through some things. That's yeah. how he put it. And, mm -hmm. you know, like people keep saying he rules like a mobster. He sounds like a mafia don. I'm like, he is a mobster. I mean, very literally, he's been working mm -hmm. with organized crime, first Italian, then Russian, then more of a like transnational kind of body. Um, and I don't know why they don't talk about it in those terms. That's the thing that they just still won't address like at all, like our representatives, yeah. they'll just do analogies. But I'm like, no, this is extremely literal and it has to do with his finances. And I know you all know this because you were investigating it in the Treasury and the IRS and in the FBI and all mm. these other bureaus. And I have the records of that. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, why is this never brought up on the floor of Congress? And I assume it's because Trump probably is threatening to like kill people if they do it. But that's a problem. I mean, like, yeah. hello, like, yeah. That's why you need to get rid of him early. <laughs> well, and a, and a person that would do that, what they're they're capable of anything, you know. Oh, if yes. you're willing to do that with like the governor and the secretary of state, of it's like what? This is like a shakedown. <laughs> like, well, and they crazy. all go along with it. That's what I don't understand. Right. That's why, despite him being, you know, some kind of sleazy Republican in Georgia, their secretary of state was his name, Raffsenberger. I like that he keeps going off. You know, he had that big press conference where he was like, this is enough. I have been threatened. My family's been threatened. This is completely. Oh, was that a Gabriel Sterling? Oh, was that him? That was a different person. Yeah. I mean, I just know it the representative. Like he works directly for him. I think Raffensperger is his. Right. Yeah. It was from the Secretary of State's office. And yeah, then, of course, was refusing yeah. to give in to Trump on the phone. And it's like, yes, I know these are Republicans. And yes, I know these are the same Republicans that were involved in denying Stacey Abrams her legitimate win a couple years ago. But they're at least like they've got some like cojones, you know, like they're actually standing up to these people. Whereas the rest of them, it's like Trump literally didn't care if they died. Like people came storming into the Capitol saying, hang Mike Pence. And then they're like, Mike Pence, you know, do you think we should use the 25th Amendment and get rid of this guy who just tried to murder you right now? And he's like, oh, no. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just so emasculating. I mean, it's humiliating. Like, I don't understand their mindset. And so one of the things I've wondered from the very start, from 2016, because Trump was the same 
same guy back then is just is the threat beyond just um you know personal compromise or blackmail or threats to individuals and their families is it something greater and that question's been answered um you know multiple times as information about Russian cyber attacks comes comes out, we had many, you know, we had some in 2014, we had some in 2016, 2017. And of course, right now we're under the biggest one, uh, one that has the potential to just bring down our infrastructure. And we don't know who's holding the reins. And given that Trump is a Kremlin asset, I assume that he has some kind of connection to this. So that may be something, maybe, holding people in check. And then the other thing I'm worried about is Trump wants to use nuclear weapons. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what Pelosi was doing when she decided to meet with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and was like, hey, if Trump's going to nuke something, like, don't let him. And then she reports back that they were like, yeah, cool, you know, no problem. <laughs> that's not how it works. Like, that's no. not how the protocol of launching nuclear weapons, work, nuclear weapons works. I wish it did. But mm -hmm. the only way you can get the president to not launch a nuke is to remove the president. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we need to remove him immediately because I think he may do that. Um, lots of nuclear war experts, Iran war experts, they're very concerned. And we, we're moving even closer to that tonight uh, with the announcement that uh, CENTCOM is like building a base in Israel to make room for what looks like a long-term military engagement in the Middle East. So mm. that's all very frightening. And those were sort of his final cards to play as like a grid or infrastructure attack and war with um, weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, we already had the capital siege. We may have more violence to come as well. And uh, he can get a lot done in the next six days. Like I saw someone comparing this to living through the Cuba, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you know, obviously we're way too young to have lived through that. But I'm kind of getting an idea of how much it sucked because every day <laughs> it's just like this horrible, horrible day of terrible fear and uh, revelations. And mm -hmm. Yeah, on the Wednesday of the Capitol attack, I was like trying to like concentrate and be productive and do work and homeschool my children and watch the uh, capital be insurrectioned. And like, I was like, I'm just uh, during a pandemic and I'm like, I, I can't like get down on myself for not being productive today. I have to give myself at yeah. least a little space. Cause it's like, what is even going on? Like I, how are, how? <laughs> How is this happening? <laughs> that's the thing. Like, that's one of the things that makes all of this so weird is that we're all kind of mentally in the same place. I mean, I think even the Trump voters are in this place, mm. too. Like, we're all scared. We don't know what's going to happen to our country. We're all dealing with a pandemic on top of everything. We've all dealt with an incredible amount of stress over the last year. Um, and, you know, for me, because I expected it and because it's literally my job to study it, like for a few minutes, I almost forgot that it was shocking. Like I was watching it online and then, you know, I went downstairs to like get some coffee or something. And my husband and my kids were like watching it on the couch with like their jaws dropped and mm. tears in their eyes, you know, for a couple of them, especially my son, you know, because he's the youngest. And, it, and then mm -hmm. it hit me like this is this is historically awful. Like this is horrible and shocking. And I can't just sort of observe for like, um, you know, oh yeah, well there's the siege that I knew was going to happen. Like it really hit me when I saw the look of panic and horror. And when my son just wanted it to be turned off because he was so terrified by what he was seeing by all the weapons and the screaming and, you know, and the fact that it was real, he kept asking me that, like, is this real? And, um, and then he said, like, I know this is historic, but can we please turn it off? I don't want to see this. And I was like, yes, of course. And so we turned it mm. off. Um, 
And that was just one of those things. And I kept thinking how many families across this country were in that position, how many people had just stepped away from work. And we were all just watching this horrific attack on our own country from within our own country, like mm. unable to fully explain it to our kids, unable to fully explain it to ourselves, even if we knew it was coming, but just like the the complicity and the the ability for it to happen, the fact that police let these guys in, it just makes it seem like absolutely anything is possible, even beyond my terrible imagination. And we all know how terrible my imagination is. Like this was in <laughs> some respects worse. And so it's chilling because I don't know like really what's mm -hmm. um, down the road except for more bad things. Yep. Um but I forgot even another thing in the things that I was listing, uh, pointing to this being uh, helped from some some shady forces. Uh, the wife of a Supreme Court justice may have bought 80 buses for people to get there, I'm, I read. Yeah, Jenny yeah, Thomas. Jenny Thomas. Yeah. And there was like some other dark money things happening. And I, I think when we follow the money on this one. It's going to be real interesting to see where it goes, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we just did on Gaslit Nation. Andrea br broke a lot of this down, like the mm -hmm. Koch brothers um, oh, yeah. seem to have some investments in this. There's also Russian mafia money uh, being pumped into this, which is unsurprising. Uh, you know, there were foreigners and foreign flags in the crowd. It's difficult to tell if these are just, you know, Americans who are immigrants and, um, you know, speak another language as a first language or people who actually came from another country for this. I mean, I am somewhat curious about that, but uh, the money trail is definitely the thing to follow. And also just the, the amount of rich and connected people, uh, you know, who were dressed up in these sort of salt mm. of the earth costumes, uh, but were the sons of CEOs and, you know, were independently wealthy and had the time to do this. Like, it's just, it's all the reality show of Trump. It's all part of, it's just like his rallies where he would hire actors, you know, to like play Trump fans and, you know, pretend that mm. this is just this down home phenomenon where, you know, the actual Trump vote voter tends to be middle to upper class, almost always white, uh, mostly men. Um, you know, th this was a representative mm. sample in that respect as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that's, it needs an incredible amount of investigation. And, you know, part of me is afraid that so many other things that really need investigation, like how the coronavirus was handled, the Trump-Russia case, is he a traitor, you know, all of this, the 2016 election, those all need to be investigated very thoroughly too. It's like Biden needs like a ton of commissions and given that we have a giant unemployment crisis in this country we might as well fill those commissions with um you know investigators i honestly think you should do this because you can't let any of these these crises go it's like we really had the worst of all worlds for four years and this one in particular um is incredibly serious and they can never just kind of uh just be like, wow, I wonder wonder when, how that went down. I mean, because there's so many facets to it. There are so many people involved. It's, it's very frightening. Mm -hmm. But on a different subject, I do wonder what Mike Pence's game is. What is going on with that guy? They, they almost, he almost is killed, hung. They brought a gallows, you know what I mean? Like they had it ready. They had zip, or not zip ties, what are they, not nylon crowd control cuffs or whatever they call them. Um, you know, they were ready to, I think, <laughs> make good. It just seemed like they were going to do that. And he yeah. still won't pull the trigger on the 25th Amendment. Does he, I mean, 
what is going on with that guy? Like, like, is he think he's still going to be president somehow? Or I feel like they maybe underestimated how much of the rhetoric that they put out there, that, is, that especially Trump was putting out at his rallies in the week before, where he was getting angry at the Republican Party, telling people mm. not to vote in Georgia and so forth, how much people would take that to heart? Because to them, it's just for a game. You know, like, I, I think mm. they don't want Mike Pence to die because he's a very useful political figure for them. He can do things sure. like pardon Trump. Why would you want to kill that guy? And I think that the uh, fan base didn't necessarily understand that and was like, yeah, I guess they really do want us to kill Mike Pence or for that matter, kill Nancy Pelosi, who's also been very helpful for Trump. Um, you know, I think there are some people that they genuinely wanted killed, which are, are the, you know, the young progressive uh, activists of color. But that's the thing. It's like with propaganda, you know, we'll hear it. We'll hear them say, you know, Joe Biden, radical socialist and Nancy Pelosi, radical socialist and Antifa member. And and we laugh because it's like one, it's, it's just completely not true in any way, but it's also like people keep trying to push them to be like more progressive. So the idea that like Joe Biden is some kind of wild radical, it, like it seems so ridiculous that you think to yourself, well, no one could possibly believe that. But they really do. You know, they really believe the stuff they're hearing on Fox News and OAN and, you know, Facebook memes and all this stuff. And, and they really believe um, a lot of the QAnon narratives, mm -hmm. which unfortunately they became vindicated with the Epstein story. I really think that's the linchpin, like QAnon built up uh you know a series of myths and, and information that was like 80 percent bullshit and about 20 percent true and like the 20 percent was all the epstein stuff and because that was all true and just as horrific as they'd been laying it out then it made it seem like the rest of it was true and there were people who went in there really believing that children were trapped in tunnels underneath the capitol building and that they needed to free them like they felt like they were on a mission. I mean, and this is why I feel like we need so many like truth and reconciliation commissions and just yes. sort of deep dives into these real crimes, things like Epstein to clarify the guilt of the government and what they did and then go into maybe the other allegations that people who are QAnon acolytes are interested in. Like, I don't think it's wise to blow all that off. I feel like if they think everyone's a cannibal, then maybe explain why they're not. Because the thing is, they're not going to believe you when you've been lying to them about Epstein and all this other stuff for decades on end. Like, it's not completely crazy for them to swallow all of this other stuff. But yeah, anyway, back to Mike Pence. I don't know what he thinks his long-term prospects are. I also don't know with him if he's like a true believer in the rapture and the end times and all this mm. stuff. I mean, he he says he is. Pompeo also says he is. Pompeo says he mm -hmm. governs according to the rapture. And mm. they've been saying this is like the apocalypse. And some of them oh, think Donald gosh. Trump is Christ. Some of them think he's the mm -hmm. Antichrist and that he's like signaling in the end times. And they're totally cool voting for the Antichrist. They think that's a great plan. Um, um, and I don't know whether they believe that or that's just some cynical ploy to try to get money and votes. But if he does believe it, that that's, that puts a whole new spin on all right. of his actions. Like, was Mike Pence ready to martyr himself for the cause or did right. he just want to, like, make some money and then go rise in politics and maybe become the president in 2024? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it really could go either way. And that's such a, that's such a crazy thing about our yeah. country right now and the radicalism of this, the um, – you know, the belief in, uh, you know, religious extremism, I think, has been 
played down. People don't want to talk about it that much. I mean, obviously, there are journalists who talk about it quite extensively. People like um, Jeff Shartlett and whatnot write whole books on it. But it's kind of like outside the mainstream vernacular. People kind of just laugh it off. But it's it's not funny when, you know, you have people who are willing to die for that cause because that means mm. they may kill for that cause and they may mm. kill even the people who are willing to die for it. So it's a whole new uh, level of layers there. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just never know if they're like actually getting high on their own supply. You know what I mean? Like if they're like the the propaganda that they're selling, how much of that they're buying themselves by accident? You know? I mean, I can tell with some of them. Like I know, you know, with Trump himself, that he does not believe any of this stuff. Even when he was right. uh, caught on tape, he didn't know he was being taped with Lev Parnas, and they were telling him how in Ukraine, you know, there's a rabbi who said that Trump is the Messiah, and how he's worshipped by I believe it was. Chabot and other Jewish communities in Ukraine and how Parnas and Fruman also think he's the Messiah. And I thought Trump would be like really into this. Like he'd be super excited to be called the Messiah, you know, because of his ego. But he was just like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's just get back to talking about the money. Like he said something like that. Like he just wanted to get down to like, well, how much am I going to make here? You know, like being the Messiah. Like it was very practical. And I think that that's kind of how it is because he doesn't believe in like an afterlife. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't really get into the whole religious thing. He just knows it's useful for winning over people and making more money and getting more power. And it's a means to an end. But then there's others who, you know, I mean, Kushner has some really, horrific uh you know religious beliefs you know beliefs about his own superiority he sees extremist rabbis obviously bar pompeo pence you know bar is an opus day like we have a lot going on that's the thing it's like there's so many different mm. strains of extremism um and so many different faiths all kind of working together but none of them really being like great representatives of the religions that they come from like they're such no. outliers they're such right. extremists that it's hard to kind of get a you know a beat on like well what how are all these things working together and what are y'all up to and like what's the uh what's the end game here is the end game the end times like that's mm -hmm. the question no one's gonna ask that at a press conference but um you know yeah guess we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, when I was watching the, you know, the Capitol get attacked and they were making their way up, you know, to the entrance, I was just thinking, like, as they're like, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to this in a second, where, where they're like hitting policemen with uh, Blue Lives Matter flags and American flags and just irony is dead now. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but I was thinking, like, they think that in their telling of the story, they're the heroes, they're the patriots, they're the, it's, they're in the role of 1776, and I even saw it when uh, they did the objection and in, in for the Arizona when I was watching that, and like Ted Cruz stood up. I swear I could see it all over his face. He was like, "I'm one of the founding fathers right now. I'm George Washington standing up," and I used to, like he was like posing for a painting as he was standing up. It's like. These people for real, for real think that they're the heroes of this story. Like, I just I think they couldn't be more deluded and wrong, but they I'm sure think exactly the same thing about me. And it's like, how are we going to, like, deprogram this many people? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for them, you know, on one hand, it's a craven power grab. But I think that the way that people like Cruz especially dealt with being humiliated by Trump, you know, Trump who insulted his wife, his father, himself, uh. you know, all these things is by saying like, well, this needed to happen so that I could ascend and the other neo-Confederates could ascend in our great, holy, patriotic cause and create a new America out of like the wreckage of the Obama era. Like, I think that that's how he kind of convinces 
convinces himself that what he's done is not a bet a mafia syndicate, which is what he's actually done. But, you know, like you said, like he has some noble crusade. I think it's a it's a coping mechanism in a way. And yeah. like that's um that's very disturbing. I you know, I don't think necessarily most Americans are on board with this. Cause when you get down to like the practicalities of this, like if we're going to become a fascist state or if we're going to say split into uh partition separate countries, which is like one of the worst ideas I could possibly think of. Just oh, yeah. like what what happens to like our federal lands or our treasury or the stock market or, you know, I mean, somebody brought up some other example, something that would go terribly right. Anyway, oh, it, it was the, the CDC, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, Yes, the CDC, <laughs> the public health system, the IRS. I mean, it's like we can't, it's very complicated. It would not break apart neatly, to say no. the least, but it won't even, you know, it was so chaotic in the aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union. But what they did have were delineated republics that existed before the Soviet Union pretty much was built. I mean, they they strengthened the nationalism within those republics and whatnot. But, you know, uh, the Uzbek Soviet Socialist Republic turning into Uzbekistan was traumatic for people who were raised to believe that they were Soviets, but they also could go back to speaking their native language, worshiping Islam, you know, picking up the native customs that had been banned by the Soviets and, you know, and so on and so forth. And for other countries, you know, they had wanted to break free for a very long time, you know, places like Estonia or Ukraine. So it's not an analogous situation. Like we don't have, you know, secessionist movements in most states and where we do have them, they're very small. You know, Texas is probably the biggest one and then maybe California, but like, you know, Missouri's not breaking away. And the other thing is like, there's been a great effort in the media and among um, po some politicians to divide us neatly into these categories of red and blue states, mm -hmm. completely ignoring the fact that every quote unquote red state has a big blue city in it, or usually multiple big you know, substantial metro regions that are blue. So if you even try to break things up that way, you know, take the big old chunk of red states in the middle of the country, yeah. you're taking with it St. Louis, Cleveland, uh, Indianapolis, you know, all of these oh, yeah. places. Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Like, Yeah, it, it we're not going to get to sit at the cool kids table at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it would, I keep thinking, where the hell would I go? Because I yeah, know right. what happened Let's is, like, run to where? Where do St. I Louis run to? St. Louis would immediately really? try to join Illinois, and Illinois would be <laughs> Like, hell no. Like, we don't want you. You're the murder capital of America. You're not coming in. But I mean, it really would be it would be deeply, deeply traumatic. And I think anyone who kind of flirts with this idea, like I'm hoping the whole let the South secede thing is out the window after Georgia, because Georgia is the, the state that saved the country for the Democrats and yes. for Joe Biden. So hopefully they've now acknowledged, you know, how superficial and malicious that kind of talk was. But yeah, but this is something, though, that the, I do think the Republicans kind of want because it's just easier to steal that way. You know, it's balkanization. Yeah. If you break everything down, it's easier to steal the resources, steal the land, take the money, so on and so forth. So I am very afraid of that. Um, but I think most American citizens... My God, I mean, I think most people just want their lives back. They want yeah. coronavirus to go away. They want school to start again. They want some relief from the constant stress. They want the insanity to stop. Like, I know all these people voted for Trump, but I don't know how enthusiastic that vote was. He obviously has a fanatical base. I've always been worried about that, about the militant side of his base. But I think there are a lot of voters who just, they just don't like the Democrats or they're one issue voters on abortion or guns or so 
on and so forth. It's not like they're all deeply entrenched in the MAGA cult. It's often that they just think the other side is worse. And so I think the sort of deprogramming that may have to happen with like um, the more cultish members of this, it's not 70 million people, but it may be a few tens of millions. And that's a lot of people. So I do worry about that, that they're living in an alternate reality. And I do think everyone can kind of be reached. I just think it takes an enormous amount of time and effort. And I don't know whether you know, the Biden administration or how exactly that would happen. Because the thing is, is people don't trust each other and you have to have a baseline expectation of good faith and trust to even participate in that mm -hmm. kind of dialogue. And it's really hard, especially right now. And I'm hoping now that Trump is deplatformed and oh, he's yeah. going to become less ubiquitous, that we can at least recover from his particular personality cult but we're still going to be dealing with, you know, militant violence and all of these other problems and conspiracy theories about Biden and, you know, a lot of bad things. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who have clearly never read George Orwell started saying the word Orwellian this week, which was interesting. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump Jr. Everyone was reminding him that, like, Donald, that Orwell fought fascists. Like, Orwell hated fascists so much, he went to, to the Spanish Civil War and, like, got shot fighting fascists. So, like, that's the Orwell that yeah. needs to be remembered. But, I mean, yeah, they, they get their talking points. It's been interesting for me to see how uniform and stupid, but just uniform in particular, the Republican talking points are. Like when they all started tweeting about the Ayatollah at once, I'm like, first of all, you are stuck in the 80s, like just like Trump's brain. It like froze in mm -hmm. 1988. All his pop culture <laughs> references are just like trapped in time. All the songs he plays at his rallies are from them. Um, I'm sure he was very excited by the revival of Cats at the movie theater. He was probably the only person who liked that. But anyway, uh, they all go on and on about the Ayatollah, which made me feel like I was in four grade hearing about like the scary ayatollah and salman rushdie mm -hmm. and fatwas and whatnot right. but of course it's also because they're trying to get everyone pumped up for a war in iran i mean that's the much more nefarious um you know messaging going on there but the way that they just recite these points it was like that at the impeachment hearings too where they just had identical idiotic things that they were clearly like reading from some kind of script. The first impeachment was like that too. I know it because they went after my Gaslit Nation co-host's sister, like Devin mm. Nunes would, you know, start it off by yep. talking about Alexandra Chalupa and everyone was like, well, what the hell is that? And, you know, mm. and, but, but in their little universe, in their weird little alternative reality, she's like this huge player. And so <laughs> that's like one of those things that's just so strange about living in this, uh, this very special time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you know, well, I, I guess we should give Jack Dorsey the minimalist amount of credit in the world for finally coming to its senses and kicking the guy off his platform. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think, I do think some of the willingness for some of these Republicans to poke their heads above the parapets or whatever is that there's no Twitter account to yell at them anymore. And it's amazing how much psychological power that had and it went on for so long but then i saw jack dorsey at a twitter thread today he was like i don't know should i have done that and i'm like yes you should have done it what are you talking about oh <laughs> are you God. seriously gonna like let him back on or something like it, no i to, mean i i uh, hope they don't oh, like was he saying I, that he might yeah yeah you should go look at it it was like uh earlier today he had some tw twitter thread about it um i'll find it but yeah it was it was crazy like how long that went on, he should have been kicked off 
years ago yes. before he was even president. If he had, people would be alive. I mean, that's one of those mm-hmm. baseline things. Just on coronavirus alone, he sent out so much false public health information. You know, he literally got people to drink bleach and to do all of these dangerous treatments that killed them. And there are people who laughed at the people who did that. But a lot of it was older people who never in the world thought the president would just lie to them like that it just lied mm-hmm. to them in such a cavalier way that uh, about something that could kill them uh you know i remember hearing a woman who be who was a widow because her husband had, had drunk like clorox or something because he thought that it cured coronavirus because trump said it and she was weeping and she was like don't whatever you do don't believe that man ever don't trust that man he took my husband and i feel horrible for her and you know there's i mean that's just one example of many many people um you know there are people who are incited to you know commit crimes hate crimes because of him and and yeah, it was absolutely the right move. It was interesting to me that all the tech companies aligned at once to deplatform him. And then that parlor went down shortly after. So mm. it's like that gives me a clue that there's something worse planned. And they were trying very hard to break up the communications. But I just hope that they're on top of monitoring the communications yeah. if people are scattered all over the place. I'm, I'm a little bit worried because of that. But yeah, the, the power of Trump's tweets, you know, the way people were afraid of them. I mean, I kind of know how that is. Like I woke up this morning and this absolute psychotic woman had written some massive thread about me and, you know, going on and on about all these things I had said at some conference. Her name is, you know, she's a rabbi named Rudy Regan. And so reading it, I'm thinking, what the hell? I was never at this conference. Like, what is this? And I was getting death threats as my family was getting death threats. I was Mm. getting death threats. And like, what is this? And then I like wrote to her, like, I don't know what this conference is. I don't know who you are. And you're lying. Like she said, my main activity was suppressing the vote and telling people not to vote, which is obviously like 180 degrees from what I do. And she's like, oh, gosh. Oh, I mixed you up with someone else. I meant to target somebody else. And I'm thinking, what? Like, you are a horrible person. Just everybody. It's uh R-U-T-I-R-E-G-A-N. I want this on the record because my whole day was made hell by this absolute freak show who should be fired from her like rabbinical practice or whatever. Mm. But that's the kind of thing that happens. So I do know what it's like. And obviously, if the president of the United States is doing something like that to you, mm. it's even more terrifying because you're getting, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people coming at you. Nonetheless, if you're an elected official, you should know how to deal with that. And we've seen plenty of elected officials. I'm sure they're not happy about dealing with it, but they deal with it pretty well. And when I see people who have like millions and millions of dollars in private security and guarded homes getting freaked out by quote unquote mean tweets, like I have very little sympathy for them because they're public servants and their job is to protect us and not right. duck and cower because Trump called them a bad name. Like it's it's so ridiculous uh, to me. Like I, uh, but yes, I, I do think that the deplatforming will go some way because it's worked on others. You know, when they kicked yeah. um, other violent white supremacists off these networks, they really had a hard time reconvening their movements. You know, it was effective after Charlottesville. I hope it's effective now. Obviously, Trump will try to, you know, assuming he leaves, um, start some kind of media network or join a, an existing media network. I'm praying to God the publishing industry does not let him write a book. I will be. Oh, God, I will just vomit. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. But if we're at that point, honestly, then that means we're still a country. If we're worrying about <laughs> things like that, if we're just outraged about a Trump book deal, that means we're not <laughs> outraged about like a giant, you know, nuke getting dropped on something. So I I take that over the uh, the latter, though it's still obviously unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But 
uh, wasn't Trump going to fly to uh, Scotland and then they're, I've like barred his entry. And oh, yeah. I think that was now I might be crazy here, but that seemed to me like first thing I thought was like, OK, that's stop number one before he gets to Russia. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if it's Russia or Israel or Saudi Arabia. I feel like it's going to be one of those three and it could really oh, wow. go. Any of those ways. And it depends on whether Ivanka and Jared are along for the ride. If it's Ivanka and Jared, they're going to go to Israel. If it's Trump solo. Because the thing is with Trump is he's a homebody. He didn't even like leaving New York. And when he Mm. left New York, he just hangs out in Mar-a-Lago and goes golfing. Like, this is a guy who's had all the money in the world for his whole life. He's completely unadventurous. He does not like to travel. He just wants to eat the same thing every day, watch the same shows every day. And so I think he'd be very unhappy living outside of the United States, even though he hates the United States. He likes his life in the United States. And so if he's in Russia, I mean, I I think he'll be, it would be very hard for him as a 75-year-old man. And he'll want Ivanka to come along. And I think Ivanka won't want to necessarily live in Russia. She'll want to live in Israel, which Kushner has, you know, he owns buildings there in the West Bank, illegal settlements, Uh, has a lot of assets stored there. I think that that's Mm. more likely. He also has um, financial dealings with Saudi Arabia. I feel like they'd all be a bit out of place there as well but who knows um i i think i ide- not ideally because i want them all just to get the hell out but i think in their ideal world they don't want to leave um at all and they're going to do everything they can to stay but i don't know about criminal repercussions and i do think it's significant that corporations are finally cutting themselves off for him like the pga golf tournament Mm -hmm. the uh new york city banning trump organization deals which i'm like jesus why didn't you do that like years ago i mean my lord like i was i didn't know that those still existed and usually pretty up on this stuff deutsche bank that's an interesting one they've decided to uh no longer do deals with Trump and they do deals with literally the worst people in the world like mafiosos, arms trailer traders, uh, child pedophile traffickers like Epstein. That's where he kept his money. And they're like, yeah, nope, this guy's too bad. Uh, so, so that's interesting. But what I'm hoping it means is that Deutsche Bank, if they're done with him, is going to offer up the goods, like all of the financial records and help uh, criminal prosecutors build a case against him. That would be great. Uh, I don't know if it'll actually happen because I still feel like we're going to be feeling like we're living in a mafia state for a very long time until the actual mafia is cleared out. And because it's an international mafia, it's very difficult to defeat because it doesn't always fall within our legal jurisdiction you know, as Americans, uh, we often don't have the power to defeat the worst people without like going to war. And I don't want to do that. I'm hoping they just do uh, things like the Magnitsky Act, where they're freezing the assets of oligarchs and other people who are, you, you know, engaged with blood money. Basically, I think that's the healthiest way to do it, a way to do it that, you know, we want to avoid any kind of um, conflict that that even gives a chance of civilian casualties. Like, I'm very, very against that. I don't want a war in Iran. I don't want a war with Russia. I don't want any of that. But I don't think that, um, you know, the people in charge feel the same way I do, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah. And I can't believe we're not even talking about the greatest cyber attack in the history of the country. And it's only been a couple weeks, but like there's been so much that's happened, obviously. But uh, what has like I don't hear much about that anymore, but that seemed like a pretty big deal. 
Um, it's like the capital siege in that the more you learn about it, the more terrified you get. Like you find out that the infiltration is worse and worse and worse, like more private companies deeper into certain um, de- you know, departments. The Department of the Treasury, which was already compromised, uh, was heavily infiltrated. I, I don't know if the lack of reporting on it is because reporters are simply focusing on the coup um, and the siege <laughs> and the transition process and whatnot, or if information is not forthcoming about threats. I mean, one thing that I found useful in like monitoring the QAnon freak show is that it's always projection. You know, when they talk about Pizzagate, it was just to project away from Epstein. When they say Ukraine and Biden are up to crimes, it's to project away from Trump and Russia being up to crimes. And so when they start saying there's going to be a big blackout, I'm like, okay, yeah, there probably is going to be. And they're going to blame Iran, is my guess. They're, or they're going to blame, like, the Democrats somehow. I don't know how they'll pull that one off. But, you know, they, <laughs> it doesn't need to be factual. It doesn't need to have logic. My guess is they'll blame Iran or Antifa or whatever. But I feel like that is likely not because QAnon said it or Lynn Wood said it, but because we just had a massive cyber attack that affected the grid. And so I've been bracing myself for that. I'm a bit scared if it happens, it may be this week to coincide with more acts of violence in the final week of the Trump presidency and keep us from communicating. You know, we're all on our our cell phones and and whatnot, you know, cut off our internet access, our bank accounts, things like that. Like, so, you know, I think I said this every time I'm on your show that it's always good to have some extra food and water. So I don't know. Once again, there's my uh, reassuring message. But absolutely. um, Well, if the last year has taught us anything, you know, like it's. Yeah, I can never be um, too prepared. And again, this is not based on um, the ramblings of QAnon, but on the on the cyber attack and on precedent, because Mm. when the Kremlin did a massive cyber attack on Ukraine, one of the main things they did was, you know, bring down the grid as a symbol of their power to get to send Ukraine a message and say, we control you now. We could do this to you if we feel like it. They may want to do the same thing to us. So that's mm-hmm. um, hopefully won't happen. Hopefully we have better cybersecurity. But honestly, I don't think we do after four years of Trump being in power, gutting the cybersecurity. I mean, for yeah. a little while, Rudy Giuliani was in charge. of it, So that doesn't oh really build confidence. And, you know. oh. <laughs> wow. Well, um, on a lighter note, I uh, I wanted to ask your opinion because uh, we are going to get some camping gear because we want to, when the weather turns nicer, we want to go on more uh, road trips and kind of be outdoors as much as we can um, coming up. So I know that you and your family go on trips and hikes and, and things like that. So I was wondering if you had any uh, tips on things that to get like camping gear type stuff. Um, for gear i don't know i mean we often do stuff like you know we'll rent like a little cabin and it might oh, not have electricity That'd be but fun. you know we're not yeah. all in a tent because there's there's you no don't, way you don't do the my kids. thing i guess no my my kids are just not into it like <laughs> we've done it a couple <laughs> times and it was you know more of a like we were up all night with the you know, we're kind of <laughs> freaking out about stuff for a place to go since you're in oh. indiana like a sort of underrated place that I know really well is Ozark Scenic Byways. If you've ever been there in Southern Missouri, it's like, 
like oh, okay. just the, the very southern part near the Arkansas border. And it actually extends okay. into northern Arkansas. And it's okay. just absolutely beautiful. And it tends to be way, way less um, crowded than like other national park places mm. that I would otherwise recommend, like, you know, Glacier, Rocky Mountain or whatever. Like this is like a, you know, the hidden gem of Missouri. Okay. I mean, one thing cool. that sucks is like some of my favorite things to do, like go to cave tours or closed, but it's uh, just beautiful. Yeah. And it actually, it's a place to look if you like camping. There's so many campgrounds. That's why I thought of it. And then they're really, you know, friendly and like have things there on hand. I mean, coronavirus is complicated the situation, so I would check. But right, right, a right. lot of folks are like, let's go camping. <laughs> Nothing else yeah. to do. But it's uh, definitely worth it. They have the, some of the deepest um, springs in the U.S. So it's like this cool. bright blue water in the middle of Missouri, surrounded by like mossy rocks. Like you feel right. like you're in Oregon or something. It's it's cool. Did you just ask about Indiana Dunes? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I went there this summer. We, yeah, it was would... my only like sort of trip out of St. Louis uh. all summer because of the pandemic. We went and we saw the comet. We saw Neowise. Like oh, we went up nice. to the dunes yeah. and onto the beach and brought a telescope with us and looked at the comet. And we went swimming too, which was super, super fun. Although it was another one of those things where everyone had like mm. the same idea. Like everyone mm-hmm. from Chicago, because everything mm-hmm. was shut down, had headed into the, the dunes. And then a lot of the Michigan kind of vacation cities were very overrun. So they were also heading to the dunes. And the poor folks working at the dunes were like, oh, my God, I did not sign up for this. You know, they just wanted to be a park ranger and suddenly they're like dealing with a pandemic. And but it, I love um, going there. I definitely want to go there off season when it's not quite as um, wild. But, you know, <laughs> we went to Valparaiso. Is that how you say it? The home of Orville Redenbacher. That oh, was yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Sad. <laughs> on a bench next to a statue of him, maker of popcorn thrilling anyway yes yes gotta get your uh get your pleasures where you can these days oh yeah absolutely no doubt no doubt um but you've been listening to any any good music lately um yeah actually blue oyster cult put out an album in 2020 which is sorry there's a song you should hear it's called florida man you know they have all these songs (laughs) about monsters they have like godzilla and nosferatu and don't feel the reaper and all this stuff and so they made a song called florida man and it's about how the florida man is the way he is because the seminal people cursed the conquistadors and then and therefore cursed the the whole land of florida and so the poor florida man and woman uh become the way they are (laughs) because of this ancient spell that was cast Mm. over them you have to just go after you're done talking to me like go on youtube and find florida man by blue oyster cult because it's the best song like i was just dying like listening to it and the whole album is really Hmm. good they haven't put it on album in like i don't know 15 years and i didn't even know it was coming because who the hell checks that they're like 75 years old um like the members are but it's really good it's like totally up to par and florida Hmm. man just like kills me it was just um very amusing (laughs) That's very funny. Yeah, this is a couple of weeks late, but I found out this year that Twisted Sister made a Christmas album. Oh, I and didn't that. It's called Twisted Christmas, and they have uh, a version of Come All Ye Faithful that is set to the music of We're Not Gonna Take It. And oh my god it is incredible and you should check it out <laughs> I have to. i'll give you like a scoop i don't think i ever 
reveal this in an interview, but I was younger. I was an SMF, which is a sick motherfucking fan of Twisted Sister. I think that's Whoa, what super I had. I cool. sent away for the official like SMF gear because I loved Twisted Sister so much. And I was like yeah. way too old. They were not cool by the time. This is like probably like the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> and I was like a little kid. But, you know, I thought like D Snyder was just like awesome. And, you know, I mean, this is terrible. I have all like the taste of like the Trump fans at the, the rally. I was like playing a really good set, and like even my kids, they're like, it sounds like mommy's iPad. I'm like, shut up, you know, <laughs> don't say that. But it's it's true though. He has a lot of good, you know, classic rock, '80s songs, '80s hard rock, whatnot. Anyway, I should stop talking as I'm revealing too much. But I'm definitely gonna check out the uh, Twisted Sister Christmas. So. Oh my gosh, you're gonna lose all your credibility here in the last couple minutes. <laughs> I have none. I have no. Well, the nuke is coming, so I don't need to worry yeah, about. You just got to well, come clean with it now. If you're going to say it, you got to say it. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tell me you love Twisted Sister before we're all <laughs> I, I think that that information will surprise precisely no one, so I'm really not too worried about that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, when I when I shared uh, we're not going to take it with my daughter, she, like, lifted off the ground like she was, like, uh, flying around the room. She was oh, so excited. Awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure the video, although they look kind of oh. scary, honestly. But, yeah, you know, well, they, they, they the won't whole... get the Animal House references, but, yeah. <laughs> I didn't either when I was a kid, but it didn't matter. I just thought, I was like, yeah, they're not going to take it. You know, like, I yeah, really it sounds like they're not interested smart. in taking it at all. <laughs> I, I think that's that's where it all comes from. That's my defiance to authoritarianism. It's all rooted in Twisted Sister. <laughs> like, the secret's out. <laughs> all yeah. right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I hope that we're, you know, still in one piece the next time so we can talk and uh, have a good rest of your night. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Take it easy. Okay, bye.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.